Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and this is show episode 140, Free Will, Refuting Roy Baumeister's Slate.com Defense, Part 1. Okay, Roy Baumeister, he's a psychologist. He wrote an article that appeared on September 25th at Slate.com. It's an internet magazine. And he's basically defending free will. He claims that it comes about by evolution. So, um, okay, the, 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 now the, the title of the article in Slate is called Do You Really Have Free Will? came out September 25th. And this is going to be part one because, like, I'm going to go through the, uh, the – I'm going to review the article. It may take more than one episode. It may take two or three. So we'll, we'll get as far as we can get today, and then um, I'll, I'll go back to another episodes. Okay, before I begin the review, I want to first um, basically um, – explain what we mean, what Baumeister, well, actually it's hard to say what Baumeister means when he says free will, because like, he doesn't like, he doesn't, yeah, I might as well get into this, he doesn't use the definition that most scientists and most philosophers have used throughout history, because this, this question has um, arisen since the time of the Greeks. The Greeks basically, um, considered that fate was the, uh, the reason for everything, that there were these gods, <coughs> and they determined what happened to, to everyone. You know, it's a, it was called fatalism. And there's, there's actually a, great, a Greek myth about somebody, I forget the guy's name, he tried to, like, trick fate. Some fate was like, you know, he was told that he was going to die at a certain day or something, so I think he, he traveled to a far-off land, and on that day he died or something, I don't know. But anyway, the... Um, so the, the, the accurate definition of free will is if we had a free will, we would be able to think, feel, say, and do whatever we wanted without anything that's not in control making those decisions for us, you know, feeling for us, deciding for us, acting for us. Okay, that is the definition. Okay, um, Baumeister, as you'll see, um, doesn't, like that definition because he he's not the only one. There are, there are certain other philosophers throughout history that they they did this. It's called a straw man argument. Basically, you you know you can't win the point you're contesting, so you change the terms of the debate of the question in order for it to make sense. Now in this case, even even though changing the terms doesn't like solve ba- Baumeister's problem because he's essentially attributing free will to a human being. As I'll explain later, you know, to the extent you do that, you, you know, basically we don't have a free will because like, well, I'll explain later. But anyway, another person who had this kind of definition, um, Immanuel Kant, he, he, he got, he got actually, oh, <laughs> I had a, wait a minute, oh, whatever. Um, I had a, um, all right, there's a quote in, in my book called Exploring Illusion Free Will. It's out in second edition. And there's a quote by, um, by Sir James Jeans, who's a, um, a famous physicist, astronomer, 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 mathematician. I don't know. Didn't get enough sleep last night, whatever. Um, and um, 
his quote, I was going to read it, but uh, the, the book's off stage. Um, basically, his quote is that um, basically all the modern philosophers, Kant, Hegel, Mill, Alexander, Leibniz, they all got that free will, that determinism is what makes everything happen, you know, but, but they couldn't accept that, you know. So, like, you know, basically, according to genes, you know, they, what they tried to come up with it like, you know, a way for this illusion of free will to, to happen because like, they got that we don't have a free will. They couldn't easily accept it. So Kant, what he did, he's like, he changed the meaning of free will. He says, free will isn't, you know, do, deciding what we want, you know, um, circumventing or overcoming forces that we're not in control of sometimes or we're not aware of. He said, free will is wanting the will we want or, or getting the will we want. If we want something and we're able to get what we want, you know, that he called free will. As Schopenhauer pointed out, yeah, but we don't get to decide what we want. And that's the key. That's why we don't have free will. So anyway, we'll get more into that. So that's the basic def definition of free will. Um, all right, so let's... let's um, Let's go to the, uh, the article. I'm going to be paraphrasing a lot. I'll be um, just highlighting key points or key words um, that, he, that he makes. But, all right, he starts out the article saying that it's become, quote-unquote, fashionable for, for people, for researchers, you know, psychologists and all, to say that, that free will is an illusion. We don't have a free will, Okay. No, it hasn't just become fashionable. I mean, it's really actually, it's become, it's out there, partly because of this show, because of my initiative, my, um, my meetups and all. It went from academia where it languished for centuries, you know, because like academians, philosophers basically were writing for each other, and most of them don't even get it. They don't get the question right or the answer right. But anyway, over the last few years, it's gone. It's gotten into the mainstream press. I, you know, New York Times, Atlantic, USA Today, Time Magazine, um, Scientific American, Psychology Today. A lot of magazines, newspapers have been refuting the notion of free will over the last few years. So, so it's out there more than um, you know it has been in the past. So, but I wouldn't call it. It's become fashionable per se. I mean, like. Since the Greeks, since, since the Greeks, um, there have been people who have been claiming, no, we don't have a free will. Leucippus. Leucippus was one of the pre-Socratic philosophers. He, um, he coined, well, he, he's credited with the first historical statement about determinism. Determinism is the, the principle that everything has a cause. Um, and what Leucippus wrote is that um, nothing happens at random, but everything um, for a reason and of necessity. So basically saying that there's a cause to everything. Okay, so now the Greeks, some of the Greeks understood this. You know, like if there's a cause for everything, there's a cause to all of our decisions, and there's a cause to that cause, a cause to that cause, a cause to that cause, and you have this causal regression that spans back to before the decider, quote-unquote, was born. So they, they kind of knew that. But anyway, like since the Greeks, people have been saying that we don't have free will, um, about 30% of the world apparently doesn't believe in free will. Now, th this isn't my opinion. This I read in a Scientific American Mind article that came out in 2012. Um, 30%, I don't know where they are. <laughs> They're not in the United States, but that's right. Um, so, yeah, so like, you know, some of the, some of the great 
scientists, great thinkers throughout the world have understood that free will is an illusion. Einstein understood it. Um, from the religious perspective, Jonathan Edwards, he's that, that guy who like used to preach about hell and fire and brimstone and all. He was he's supposedly like the, the most intellectual of the you know, religious theologian philosophers. He got it. Spinoza got it. Um, Schopenhauer got the free will is an illusion. So like a lot of philosophers in the past have understood this. Okay. Um, and naturally the other thing is like, you know, this isn't fashionable. This isn't new. If you've ever taken a, um, a bio biology course or a psychology course, and this goes back to like probably junior high school for a lot of people, what we're taught is that human behavior results from nature and nurture, okay? It doesn't say nature, nurture, and free will, okay? That's not taught in any of the schools, okay? Because they teach science. They don't teach belief. They don't teach religious beliefs and, uh, and beliefs that aren't true, at least not yet. <laughs> and so basically it's like, um, all right, so what is nature? Nature is our genetics, you know, our heredity. You know, our genes, our genetic makeup, we're, we're, you know, born to certain parents, we've got certain genes, and for example, intelligence is 80% genetic, our personality is 50% genetic. So these, this influence, this genetic influence is taking part in every decision we make, you know, so, so that's one, one way to understand that we don't have free will. But if it's not genetics, it's our environment, it's like, you know, what we learned from our parents when we were very young, when they were first raising us, what we learned in school, where we went to school, where we lived, where we were born, what, what language we spoke, you know, we were taught and all. So all this stuff, you know, our, our early development, which actually formed our personality to a great extent, again, 50%, it made us who we are, and who we are is determines what we decide, okay? So, like, so again, so like nature and nurture also demonstrates why free will cannot exist. So anyway, all right, so Baumeister goes on to say that, um, that he, he can't, he can't, um, he can't imagine, you know, he, he, he claims that a lot of researchers, you know, can't understand or imagine how, like, you can have both free will and determinism or causality. And basically, this, this view he's referring to is called compatibilism, okay? Uh, and Immanuel Kant, who I mentioned before, he called it a, um, a quagmire of evasion. Um, William James called it a wretched subterfuge. And I think I may have gotten those quotes mixed up, but they, you know, either one of them said one of those things. You know, compatibilism makes absolutely no sense. It, it relies on straw man arguments. Again, like... Um, let me go into why, you know, causality makes free will impossible, you know. And, and I'm going to start like, I'm going to go through the, the most basic, general, and precise explanation of this, because this applies to everything. Okay, what is causality? Cause is cause and effect. Cause is like something happening in a certain moment, and it has to be caused. Things are not caused, and we'll get into later why if you try to say, well, some things aren't cost, that's not going to help free will either. But, but essentially the understanding, and, and Baumeister accepts this. As he, he says he does, but when you read his, his um, article, you have to kind of like conclude that he doesn't understand the concept of causality, because if he did, there's no way he would say 
that we both have free will and the universe is causal. So anyway, causality is like, the best way to, to explain it, start with the Big Bang, okay? The Big Bang is the first event of which we have any knowledge of, okay? And the Big Bang is the entire universe. There's nothing else, all right? It's, it's the Big Bang, okay? And so, like, what happens, like, there, there's the universe at the first moment. That's the Big Bang. Then there's the universe at the second moment, okay? The, the, the state of the universe at second, the second moment, right? Now, what caused the universe at the state uh, at the second moment, the state of the universe? Well, the only thing that could have caused it was the Big Bang, the state of the universe at the first moment, okay? Now, we go on to the third moment of the universe. What caused that? Well, obviously, it was caused by the universe by the, 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 at the second moment, and most fundamentally, the universe at the first moment. Now, um, how does this look physically? Okay, like, at the first moment of the universe, everything was, like, con crunched to a, I don't know, the size of a pea, smaller, who knows? Some people say, a, you know, a non-existent singularity, but it's very, very, very small. And imagine <laughs> the universe is, like, you know, hundreds of billions of galaxies, so, like, for all that stuff to be compressed to at least the size of a pea, that, you know, at least that's small, that's amazing. But anyway, so what, is the, the, what happened during the second moment of the universe is like you have, let's say, a particle that was formed. Or that, that, particles may actually not have been formed at the first moment. They might have come about the second moment or third, whatever. But like for the sake of this, let's say a particle was formed in the first moment. Again, I'm not sure it's correct. but So anyway, causality is like a particle that's in a certain place in, you know, in the universe at the time of the Big Bang, that explosion, the second moment, it's in a different place because the, the Big Bang is the universe expanding, okay? It's just like exploding outwards. It's creating itself, okay? So, so, so naturally, the cause of the particle at the second moment of the universe was this st state of the universe. So, what 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 changed what changed the direction or the, the the position of the particle has to be described with causality. It was like the the state of the universe of at the first moment, the Big Bang, caused not only the state of the universe at the second moment, but that particle to shift from its position in the first moment to the position in the second moment. And I might as well now go into how we know this is irrevocably, undeniably true. Um, basically, there's, a, um, there's um, a principle that, that is applied to, to knowledge. Um, most knowledge is derived from premises. We have to have starting premises that we hold as true. This is both in mathematics and in, in logic and in science. These are premises that we accept, we understand, and in some cases, they're, they're known as a priori. In other words, they're so self-evident, so obvious, that no one could ever imagine disputing them. Okay? For example, the, the first a priori fact of our universe is that it exists. Okay? Nobody's going to deny that. Nobody can deny that. Nobody can disprove it. You know, it's something we take for granted. It's a priori knowledge. Okay? irrefutable, indisputable. Okay, some people say, well, the universe may exist as a dream. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how you want to describe the universe as existing. It exists. Okay? So that's the first a priori fact of the universe. 
The second a priori fact of the universe, indisputable, change. Okay, the universe changes. From the moment of the Big Bang, it's been changing. The universe is expanding. It's been expanding outward. That means particles, moment by moment, change their position because essentially the universe is comprised of particles. You know, they behave like waves and like, you know, can be described as fields and all. But essentially it's mass energy, okay, moving through space. Okay, so change is a priori. You, you know, it's undeniable. If change wasn't a priori knowledge, you know, an a priori fact, we wouldn't be having this, this conversation. Nothing would ever happen without change, okay? That's how fundamental change is to, to reality. So, what is change? Change, let's, let's return back to our example. You've got a, a particle. Let's say the particle in the in the tenth moment of the universe, because again, I don't know if particles existed in the very first moment. So you've got a particle existing in the tenth moment of the universe, okay, and it's at a certain point, okay? Now, in the ninth moment of the universe, the, the moment immediately preceding it, it was at a different position, because remember, the Big Bang is everything expanding outward from a center, you know, just like, you know, expanding outward. All right, so like, so that's change. Change is the particle being in one position at one moment of the universe and at a different position at a different moment of the universe. And this change applies to everything, to what I'm saying. In other words, like right now, you know, I'm saying things, these are thoughts and all, but these are reflecting the physical reality of my neural activity. You're, you're, you know, these are sound waves that are coming from me and they're being, you know, captured by the microphone and, you know, being transmitted to you either like on cable TV or through the internet. It's all physics. It's all physical. All right. And, and, you know, I can, some people say that like our thoughts aren't physical and that might provide a room for free will, but we'll get into that. We'll, we'll refute that also. So, all right. So like, so basically change is a particle in one position at one moment of the universe and in a different position in the second moment. Now, what caused this particle to be at a certain position at the 10th moment of the universe? Well, obviously, it had to be the state of the universe at the 9th moment of the universe. Because again, like, the universe evolves state by state in a causal manner. You know, the state of the universe at one moment completely causes the state of the universe at the next, because that's the only thing that can cause it. There is nothing else that exists that can cause, you know, the state by state evolution of the universe. So, again, like, if the universe is evolving state by state, everything that happens within the universe, like these particles moving from one position to the next, is also governed by this state by state evolution of the universe. In other words, you can't claim that a particle's movement exists outside of the universe because absolutely nothing exists outside of the universe. You can't claim, claim that a human decision exists outside of the universe because, like, obviously our planet Earth is within, you know, our solar system, which, which is within the Milky Way galaxy, which is within the universe. All right, so, so basically, so what I'm trying to say is, like, you've got the one. The universe is a priority knowledge. It's indisputable. You can't refute it. Change as the fundamental process, you know, or what happens, indisputable, a priori. And if change is brought about by causalities, I just, just described with the state of the universe at any moment being the complete cause of any 
event during the, the next moment of the universe and a complete cause of the state of the universe in the next moment, then that means that causality is as fundamental as a priori a fact as is change and as is the universe. Okay? That's why, you know, like, you know, some people will claim, well, the quantum mechanics, you know, behavior is uncaused, it's indeterministic. It's really not, okay? It's really not. Everything is causal, even at the quantum level. Um, Lawrence Krauss has said this. Einstein has said this. Lawrence Krauss is a modern physicist. You know, a lot of, you know, physicists have understood this. Some haven't. Um, And I just want to interject, even like, even if the universe, by some absurdity, was you know if, even if the fundamental processes in the universe were uncaused and therefore our human decisions were uncaused even if that were a possibility and it's not because what that what, what would that even mean I mean if if our decisions if our actions are uncaused you can't attribute an uncaused action to a human being or human will or human free will all right so either way whether whether the universe is deterministic or indeterministic causal or a causal free will is completely impossible. All right, so we've gone through that. So basically, um, you can't reconcile free will with this concept of causality as Baumeister is asserting or claiming. Okay, it's just impossible, as I just described. Okay, then he says, like, these, these neuroscientists are claiming that, you know, that, you know, our mind is, you know, I'm, I'm quoting, is just a bunch of nerve cells, okay? Just a bu- bunch of nerve cells that, um, that act as a, re- as a result of, like, chemical processes, you know, just electrical processes and all. Okay, first of all, you know, that's a disparaging, you know, thing to say about neuroscientists. So, neuroscientists do not say that our brain is, quote-unquote, just a bunch of nerve, nerve cells. Our mind is not that. Our mind, as neuroscientists explain to the world, is the most complex system, um, organ, entity that we are aware of. It's far more complex than we, the universe outside of it that we know of. Okay, it's the most complex thing that we're aware of in the universe. It's not just a bunch of nerve cells, all right? Um, let's see. So, okay. And here's the thing, and like, you know, it's not just that these are like chemical and, and, and electrical events that are causing us to do what we do. I mean, it's true. It's true. I mean, when you think about it, what neuroscientists and brain scientists explain is that, like, our brains are physical. Our brains have neurons. Neurons, you know, um, transmit and receive messages that are electrical. You know, we can, we can actually um, we can manipulate these messages sometimes, you know, with certain kinds of magnets, certain kinds of ways we can actually touch, you know, a certain part of a brain with an electrode and the person whose brain it is will, will have a certain kind of a thought. And these are physical processes, okay? But, you know, and, and that, you know, in other words, like what the neuroscientists explain is that um, since these are physical processes, they can't be um, 
they, you know, they can't be freely willed because they're causal. If they're physical, they're causal. In other words, if these brain activities are chemical or electrical, chemical and electrical events happen in the macro world, you can't say they're uncaused, you can't say they're quantum. Again, even if you were to say they're quantum, that doesn't help free will. But it's because they, are, they have causes, they don't just arise without causes, then it's because of that causality that makes our thoughts that arise from these chemical and electrical processes not free will, freely willed. You know, it's impossible that they would be freely willed. We're running out of time. We've got about three minutes to go, and I'm only on, its li- on his, like, you know, second or third sentence. But, but that's all right, because, like, you know, we, I thought that it would take maybe two or three episodes to review this, this entire thing. It may take more. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it, um, you know, sentence by sentence. I mean, like phrase by phrase, point by point, whatever. We're going to paraphrase, you know. We're not going to be directly quoting except in, in terms of um, some, some, you know, some specific phrases. And, you know, as these episodes continue, I'm going to be reiterating some of these points because, you know, like basically he's making claims. He makes the claims over and over and again, but he doesn't explain or defend what he's saying and, and so like it, it's incumbent upon me to explain <laughs> why what he's saying just like is insub- insubstantial it's just like it's not evidenced by logic by science by by reasoning all right so um now all right he goes into like the next he goes into like that some people claim like some neuroscientist some psychologist dan wegner wrote a book about this called the illusion of conscious will he says that that some researchers claim that just because some we're not aware of all of our unconscious processes and we're not all aware of the the ways that unconscious leads um our behavior controls our behavior that you know these he's saying that these researchers say that because of that we don't have a free will it's more than that. Basically, the idea is, I'm going to explain in the next episode, because I'll get into this, is that, and I'll, I'll explain it very briefly right now. All right, the unconscious is the part of our mind that stores all of the data by which we decide, the memories, perceptions, cognitions, etc., okay? The conscious mind doesn't have access to that information. It doesn't even know that the unconscious is there. there. That's why we call it the unconscious. So, if the unconscious is where the data is stored and the conscious mind doesn't have access to the unconscious, the only part of the mind that has access to the unconscious in order to decide is the unconscious. So in any and every decision, you have the unconscious mind sifting through its data, through its materials, applying its own principles and processes for deciding. They again reside in the unconscious because the conscious mind is not a data storage mechanism it's simply an awareness mechanism and therefore then the unconscious mind decides and makes us quote unquote aware or conscious of what it's decided all right i'm going to get into that in more details on the next episode but all right so like you know i hope you're beginning to understand why baumeister's you know article in slate just um just it's wrong we we don't have a free will and that's that's the way it is all right so i'll I'll see you on next other episodes of exploring free will we're not going to be covering this for a few more episodes but we'll be back with this uh sometime soon with with baumeister stuff okay thanks thanks for watching